and welcome to the Big Happy Life podcast. I think you're going to like the next few months of the series because I am going to spend some time answering the question, how good is it possible to feel? This is something that's been bugging me for a while. I've been at this whole self-improvement evolution thing for a really long time, just trying to be the best person and the best mum that I can be. And I've sort of plateaued at this point, and I find myself wondering whether there's more and how hard you have to work to get it and what you have to do to get it. So over the next few months, what I am going to be doing is, first of all, talking about how to get yourself from, let's say, step one to about step five. If we imagine this to be out of 10, I'd say I've already done steps one through five. So I already feel pretty good a lot of the time but not all the time. And when I say pretty good, what I mean is I have energy, I have focus, I have clarity, I have motivation, I'm in control of my thoughts and my emotions, I can come back from a kind of irritation with ease, it doesn't bother me. So those are the kinds of things that a couple of years ago, uh, if you'd said any of those things to me, I'd have gone, yeah, no, I, I can't do that. I'm pretty quick to react, I'm very hot-tempered, little things hit me hard and I'm not really the person I want to be. I have visions of being kinder and more patient and calmer and I just don't think I can. But as it's turned out, those things were not personality issues, they were habit issues. And when I changed my habits, those things changed. So what I'm going to share with you in this episode is some of the things, the basic things that can get you from one to five. And then in the coming episodes, over the course of the next few months, I will share with you some of the things I'm trying to see whether it can get from five to six or six to seven or right up to 10 and what 10 actually looks like. Is there such a thing as 100% motivation and complete peace of mind and ever-present energy and motivation? And what do you have to do to get there? But for now, let's talk about one to five. Let's dive in. Like I said at the start, I thought that a lot of my grouchiness and hot-temperedness was personality. And what I have discovered is that personality is a product of many, many different things. And it doesn't all come from inside you. It comes from your environment and it comes from how you live. It's your habits. And your habits create an experience that causes you to run patterns over and over again. And we often call that personality. I have found that I am changeable when I change what I do, when I change how I think, and when I change certain things in my environment and shape things around me. So I have the opportunity to interact with my world slightly differently. So here are my top five tips to get you from one to five. And in the coming episodes, I will break these down and give you a little bit more detail about each one because they are episodes in their own right. The first thing is to reduce, minimize, or cut alcohol completely. One of the things I didn't realize, I used alcohol as a way of relaxing. It was like, get to this point in your day and you have won and now it's time for your reward. And I didn't realize that alcohol was doing a variety of things in my system 
that repeatedly left me feeling worse and repeatedly left me wanting more alcohol. So there's a lot about the gut and the microbiome that requires investigation in order to really understand truly what's happening with alcohol. But we're not going to do that in this episode. All I want to share with you is that alcohol has an impact on the gut and the brain because it messes around with your hormones, it messes around with your neurotransmitters, and it changes the levels of how those things would work naturally in ways that would keep you feeling more balanced and happier. The easiest way I find to think about it is to imagine that your body is like a science lab. And so you can only run the experiments or create the reactions where you have the chemicals available to do those things. So if A plus B creates C, but you don't have any A, then you can't create C, even if you do have B, because you need both A and B. And what alcohol does is it stops A from being produced in your body, whatever A might be. If that didn't make any sense to you, think about it this way. Think about it as your kitchen cupboards and fridge. And you buy all this food and you know what you're going to cook. And then you open the cupboards and you open the fridge to get everything out. And your teenage child has eaten half of the stuff. And now you can't make what you thought you were going to make because half of the stuff is missing. And that's what alcohol does in your body. So the chemical reactions required for serotonin and dopamine and for those things to give you the mood boosting benefits that they are meant to, you need certain things to happen in the body and alcohol interferes with and interrupts those things. Like I say, we'll talk more about that in the episode specifically dedicated to alcohol and understanding it better. But for now, the main thing is if you want to get from one to five in terms of feeling better, reducing or better yet removing alcohol is going to make a massive difference. The second thing that made a massive difference for me was cultivating a stillness practice. People often talk about meditation and different breathing exercises, and I've spoken about both of those things on this podcast before. But ultimately, the goal is to cultivate stillness, to be able to access that part of you that remains still and calm, even in the face of total mayhem. And whatever the practice is for you, it doesn't matter as long as you can find your way to that point of stillness. Now, if you'd said to me a couple of years ago that there was a part of me that remained still throughout all the chaos, I would have told you, yeah, I don't, I don't have that. Sorry, <laughs> some people might, but I definitely don't. But that's the thing about cultivation. What you cultivate is what you get. And that was the benefit of cultivating a stillness practice. So when I started meditating, and actually even now, still, it doesn't feel like I'm doing it right. But what I have found is that I can find my way to that point of stillness when I need it. And that's the point. So if you are at the stage in your life where you think you can't find stillness, then cultivating a stillness practice is probably one of the best things you would ever do for yourself. And you will be amazed at what you are capable of doing when you can quiet your mind. It's extraordinary. Honestly, it's extraordinary. We're so busy trying to fill our heads with positive thoughts or outrun our negative thoughts. And 
When you learn to just quiet the whole system, like your body calms, your mind calms, the whole issue gets smaller. It, it's miraculous. That's the best way I can describe it. It becomes manageable. You become stronger because the situation just isn't as big as you think it is. The minute you find stillness, everything begins to take perspective in a way that it can't in the face of the chaos. So cultivating stillness is an absolute must. Next is to cultivate the stuff you actually want. This was a tough one for me as well because I was so busy trying to fix problems. As you know, I'm an adoptive parent, so one of the things that was really, really weighing on my mind was my relationship with my daughter because she was seven when I met her. So connection and trust was really something important to me, but my worry was that we didn't have it. And as you'll have heard a couple of weeks back, a lot of those old demons can still poke their heads up even now when things happen and I panic. But what I have learned works and takes me up that scale towards the 10 is rather than trying to fix the problem of going, oh my God, we're not connecting, we're not connecting, we're not connecting, what should I do, what should I do? Instead, I go, what do I want this relationship to feel like? I want it to feel loving. I want us to laugh together. I want her to want to come to me. I want to be her safe space. I want to be the person she thinks of first when something happens that's good or bad, that she cannot wait to talk to me about it, that it's my arms she wants around her when she is scared or sad, and it's my face she wants to look into when she leaps into the air and punches the air with joy because something amazing happened for her. So what do I have to do to cultivate that? And then I set my sights on learning everything I possibly can that will help me build that kind of relationship. Bear in mind that one of the key things I do for a living is I teach leaders how to manage relationships with their teams. And I teach teams how to manage their relationships with each other. So I understand the psychology of connection and building relationships. And even then, I'm still learning. That's how complex these things are. When it comes to human behavior, I have reached the point of expertise where I know I will never fully understand it all. It's that complex. And when you're dealing with the brain of a traumatized child, things get even more complex. So I have had a lot of learning to do, but that's not really the point. The point is when you focus your sights on the thing you want and you figure out how to cultivate it, you're focusing less on what's wrong and more on what you want to do. And that's where you need your focus to be if you want to go up that scale towards the 10. Because one of the things that's really useful to understand about our psychology is that our self-esteem often comes from our connection of the version of us we want in the future and the things we do today. When we feel those things are aligned, we tend to feel quite good about ourselves. And when we feel that those things are not aligned, we feel quite bad about ourselves. And so being really clear about what we want and then doing things that allow us to move towards those things really builds self-esteem. And that I think is a key part of feeling the best we can, which then feeds back into doing the best we can. So that's tip three. Tip four is pay attention to your gut. This goes a little bit back to the alcohol, but now we throw food into the mix as well. Now the gut and the microbiome 
which is the ecosystem within the gut, is so complex, that's probably going to be more than one episode. I'm probably going to have to do four or five episodes and have some guests to come on and talk to us about it. And therefore, I can't go into it here as just a kind of five tips thing. But what I want to share with you is that in terms of understanding depression, anxiety, and any of the other mood-related ups and downs I have experienced throughout my life, when I started learning and figuring out what I wanted to cultivate in terms of feeling better, all roads led me back to the gut. When the gut is screwed up, we are screwed up. It literally is that simple. Now, I will go into more detail in later episodes, but the key thing here is basically eat whole foods, avoid things that come in packets and tins, avoid processed foods. If it has a label on it that has the ingredients listed, you probably don't want to eat it because it's been messed about within a factory. It's got stuff added to it and it's best to just simply steer clear. Now, this is the part where I come clean because this is the one I'm still struggling with. I know the facts about the gut. I know that I have to follow those rules, but I'm not fully following them yet. And like I said, I feel pretty good most of the time, but I still have dips in my energy, dips in my motivation. I still wake up quite tired most days. And although I do get out of bed, I don't bounce out of bed. People say I look young for my age, but I think I look my age. I look pretty tired. I have bags under my eyes. And so in terms of this whole, how good is it possible to feel? I suspect some of the answers are going to be found in the improvements I have yet to make to my eating habits. But I really like some of the processed foods. And when I've given those things up in the past, I haven't felt wildly better. So one of the things that's part of the series that I want to know is when you get a little bit of the way down the road and you begin to feel better and you begin to make these early changes and things start to happen, is it worth making those final changes to the point where you give up those things almost completely? How much better do you feel and how long does that last? Do you then get up to a 9 or a 10 and plateau there rather than where I am right now? Now, I called it a 5, but that's not to say I feel 5 out of 10 in terms of energy each day. That's just to say I think I'm about halfway in this whole journey of going, I've done all the basics, but that last push feels like it's as big as everything else combined because I feel like I could stay here. I could plateau here and it is good enough. However, I know there is better out there. What I want to establish as part of my little investigation here is how hard do I have to push and what kind of benefit can I expect? Like how good does it get from where I am now to where I need to be? So for those of you who have started your journey into self-improvement, who started your journey to kind of revolutionize your energy and your motivation and your mindset, that part of the series may be of interest to you. And if there are particular things you want to find out about, you know, should I do this? Should I dabble in that? How much of a difference do these things make? Do comment, do ask questions. 
You can email me directly. It's natalie at bighappylife.co.uk. And of course, you can go to all the usual places. You can go to the show notes page, bighappylife.co.uk, and you can comment or ask a question there. And you can also find me on Facebook at Big Happy Life page. All right, so that's four of the five tips done so far. The final tip is to lean in to your discomfort with curiosity. And what I mean by that is when something happens that makes you uncomfortable, normally there is something there worth learning. Discomfort could be a negative emotion. It could be some feedback that you received either from somebody at home or somebody at work. Someone said something to you. Then again, that discomfort will probably lead you back to some kind of uncomfortable emotion, some defensiveness or anger, fear of rejection or whatever. There'll be something under there that has come as a reaction to the feedback that you've had. Whatever the discomfort is, it might be something related to pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, doing something you're scared of doing. All of those things are worth leaning into rather than pulling away from. And that brings me back to the alcohol thing as well. One of the things that I used to do was use alcohol to pull away from that discomfort. So these two go hand in hand. If you need to lean into discomfort with curiosity, one of the things that's going to be really important for you to do is remove any of the devices you would normally use to numb out the discomfort, whether that be alcohol, food, shopping, sex, whatever. So if the goal is to really pay attention to the discomfort and learn about it with some curiosity and a huge amount of acceptance, when we go into this one in greater detail, that's going to be a huge part of what we need to talk about, that there must be an element of acceptance of just accepting where you are right now rather than pushing yourself with shoulds. I shouldn't feel this way. I should be here. I should be able to do this. Whatever that is, you simply go, this is what I'm experiencing. This is how I feel. What can I learn from it? What does it tell me? What is it a signpost towards? Usually journaling or keeping some other record is very helpful. If you just sit around and think, it can often drive you completely batty. So having some way to record it and make sense of it is extremely helpful. And it also gives you a way to go back to it. Because one of the things that I have found over the years is that when things start to get really good, you begin to doubt whether they were ever that bad. And so journaling is also a lovely way to go back and see what you were experiencing and then go wow, I've come a really, really long way. That's extraordinary. And those kinds of things can really motivate you to take your next steps, which is why I've been motivated to record this podcast, because it starts me on the journey to take those next steps, the steps that I am afraid to take, the steps that push me into uncomfortable territory, because it means letting go of those final things that I haven't yet let go of. So I hope we can go on this journey together. I'm sure we're going to learn loads. I cannot wait to bring fantastic guests who can talk to us about all the different habits and practices and tools that we can use to give ourselves the best possible chance to feel as good as it's possible to feel. Like I said before, if there's anything you specifically want to hear about, any supplements, any practices, any foods, any tools, any monitors, whatever it is that you want to ask about, that you'd like reviewed 
or you'd like to get the makers on the podcast to hear them talk about it, whatever it is, get in touch, let me know. And let's start learning together as much as we can. For now though, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.